0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Flake Miri. This is a show about Gwent, but so much more. Uh, I think that you guys can agree that we kind of go off the rails a little bit, but that's okay. It happens. This is uh, this is uh, episode five, which is fantastic. And yeah, I am Flake, and I am joined by Shin Miri.
1: Hey, Flake. Great to be back. Yeah, uh, this is episode five of Flake Miri. Last week, we had episode four, A New Rope. And this week we got episode five, The Yenpire Strikes Back. Yeah, you're getting better at these. Uh, slowly,
0: Shinmiri. <laughs> Mary, it's, it's almost as if someone's writing these. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's almost as if someone's writing these for you, buddy. But uh, yeah, this episode is brought to you by uh, Big Fat Nobody Yet, which is okay. But uh, for all of you out there, if you want your to hear your product or service basically spoken highly of, By two dashing young lads like Shidmiri and and I, well, you let us know and we'll make that happen. But until then, we are basically free agents in the broadcast world. It's okay, though, Shidmiri. That's that's perfectly fine to just be on the level like that. No no one's going to fault us for just being, you know,
1: even Steven like this yep that's right and uh starting things off as we do is uh, as is tradition now Mm -hmm. start of each episode we check the official daggone rumor report still not happening Flake. no it is still not happening so
0: you guys can stop even wondering about it i figured that i need to snuff out these fires and and basically douse the spark every time every week because well frankly it's not happening and you know what else is not happening Renfri. Renfri's not happening either, and I feel bad for that dude who keeps posting cards, but some of them are actually pretty cool, not gonna lie, but dude, give it a rest, it's not happening. Go go do something else.
1: I I can see the meme now, like... 84 years later and the guy is on like posting a custom card every day until Renfri is released number 2873. Yeah and, and you know
0: what uh, more power to this dude with the creativity I actually started uh, trolling a little bit what I started to do once once on a random one like a month ago or so mm-hmm. I wrote I just commented well 52 days left I guess and then he's like until what and I didn't respond. And then the next day, I wrote. He he posted his thing, and I wrote Ooh. 51 days. And he's like, "You still haven't told me until what?" And, <laughs> and it stopped. And I kept doing it every day for like a week, and then I stopped because my fun <laughs> was over. But it was just nice, again, like I do, to just poke a little bit of of hope into these uh, these people. But again, my friend, I hate to break it to you, but much like Dagon, it ain't happening. So it, maybe pick up knitting or something like put that that the, all that effort into better use potentially but yeah the the Dagon ruber mill is essentially again same thing it's uh it's not happening Shinmiri. and um i think i think i don't think it ever will i think those days are gone we'll see we'll see uh, right time only time, time will time. tell yep speaking of time let's go back into the old way back machine this week in gwent four years ago in 2017 we actually got a look at what the participants were going to be for gwent open number two um we got a little infographic here for us just for reference but uh look at these names Shinmiri.
1: yeah they're adzikoff game king tailbot metranos super jj Hanachan, Irohabit, iro habit chinese player that i forgot even played <laughs> gwent and freddie babes
0: <laughs> Yeah, not a bad 8-pack, right? I mean, there's some big names, some that have actually stood the test of time. I think, like, Hadachan played in a tournament recently, right? Game King is Game King. Adzikov, same thing. Tailbot, but, like, Super JJ. I mean, this is a, a heyday kind of thing for Gwent. And when I'm digging these up, like, I basically, basically there's no... I don't have any, like, secret access to any vaults or anything. I literally go to playgwent.com, and where it says, like, news, I just keep clicking more news until (laughs) it goes goes back and back and back. Um, What's funny is that I ran past, like, around the same time, like, in 2017, I ran past this graphic that said, like, Kripparian now playing Gwent. Oh. Yeah. Remember when they were... I remember that.
1: They sponsored him for, like, a week
0: or something to play Gwent a whole week and that was like a big deal and uh well that didn't quite last for preparing i mean i don't think anyone suspected had he that he would have been so inspired to leave that you know mountain of money that he makes playing um playing hearthstone uh to come continue gwent but it was just it just kind of reminiscent of a completely different time right
1: yeah for sure like um so long ago but yet so not long ago almost yeah time flies all right uh, we have the mailbag that is ripe with community questions that we'll get to in a few minutes. But uh, first, topics for the week. Um, you want to start us off? Yeah, well, there's a, there was actually, I mean, I, every week uh, I kind of toss it out there
0: to the Reddit community and also on Twitter and such to say like, hey, if you guys have questions, obviously for the mailbag. And um, there are some questions in there that kind of deserve more than just the passing glance and one of them was actually submitted by komodo 135 and the question itself was something like along the lines of you know you guys are both vets in the game you've been around for a while and what do you believe are the greatest skill ceiling decks in gwent history and that kind of deserves a little bit more of a deep dive because i know that in a previous episode we're talking about something like kiltulis remember we're talking about uh, we're talking about deck personality right and decks that were very unique in that regard but skill ceiling is a whole different ball game and i mean i think kiltulis must still actually reside in that high skilling skill ceiling category as well
1: yeah i think so um when i think about highest skill ceiling decks I'm thinking Assimilate, because Assimilate has so many different lines of potential play, right? Because you have to understand not only your own deck, but your opponent's deck, and figure out very early on what you kind of want to copy and what kind of combos you can uh, assemble together to, you know, utilize the synergies of your opponent's deck through your Assimilate uh, and copying cards and leader ability. Um, another one I think of is syndicate in general, because syndicate is a factor. And you have to deal with the coins You have to make sure you don't over profit. You have to have the right number of spenders and the right number of like profiters uh, in in your hand for the round. So f- for different reasons, I think both syndicate and card Assimilate would be at the top of my list.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, at least in the current, you know, iteration of Gwent, at least in mm-hmm. the past like year or so, I, I, I definitely agree that in terms of skill sealing factions specifically or like more broadly um you know Nilfgaard and, and Syndicate require the most amount of extra it has the most amount of extra variables right wherein like let's just take Nilfgaard for example you're you're playing a lot of spies and assimilate and kind of copying stuff like cards like Arto require you to build up to a a very high level Artoe because you can get bad Artoes. There's going to be situations where if your opponent are kind of playing it, you know, really carefully, you might only get a a mediocre Artoe, not those super massive swingy bomb like Artoes that can, you know, the ones that get the opponent's Fakusha and everything goes haywire after that. But rather than that, you're also kind of keeping track of your opponent's board space of dropping spies on their board, making mm-hmm. sure that you are lining things up correctly, playing out of their graveyard, copying the right things. I, I find that when you're adding an extra elements and extra layers to your game, your, your sort of lines of play, be it your opponents. Like for instance, just as something as, as um, seemingly unsinister, like your opponent's board space, how many times have you and I casted matches where, Board space became exceptionally important on your opponent's side when you're playing Nilfgaard. Like that is something to keep track of.
1: Yeah, otherwise, you can't, if, if their board becomes full, you can't play spies, right? You can't play cards like Brothens or uh, that make spies that force you to play a spy. Uh, it's, it's or a, yeah, like Joachim, Roderick, these sort of things. Or getting your you're getting your Joachim
0: uh purified, let's say, you know, which you always think like, oh, it's just a clean and clear option for me to go ahead and hit the coup de grace on where you're gonna copy it and whatnot. But if there's no space, first of all, or it's not it's not um it, it lost its spy tag, it becomes a little bit more difficult. And I think that Nilfgaard in itself, in terms of skill snealing, yeah, the power level on it is is obviously high. We've seen it in uh through and through. I, I don't remember I think the the last time Nilfgaard was like bad was my god was it like a year and a half two years ago I think it has been consistently powerful for quite some time you usually see like Scoia falls off a bit Northern Realms fall- fell off a bit I think Skellige is probably one that has kind of always had a competitive option but for the most part it seems like Nilfgaard always I mean, has a dog in the
1: fight I was gonna say it wasn't like one open three just like the second to last tournament there was no Skellige no NR yeah, yeah, I know you're you're not sure. wrong there. Yeah, yeah. and and um,
0: in terms of syndicate, again, I, I, it's all about the extra variables, and I think that syndicate needs to have a higher skill cap or a higher ceiling in terms of what it's able to do because there's extra variables that you need to Mm -hmm. keep in, in track of. Because if all things were the same, you're basically, Syndicate would just be like, you have a lot more management of the game that you need to keep in track of just to be on par with your opponent. So when Syndicate was always really good, syndica was always really good in the hands of the greatest players and that's right. because it needed that extra little inch above everything else because you had to balance your coins you had this extra layer that you needed to keep to keep track of so um that's I guess like in terms of factions those would be the skill
1: ceiling factions but what about decks like specifics yeah. So specific decks. There's actually one that right now that I've been playing recently that I so really surprised me in terms of like how high the skill ceiling was, and and that's Rain Rain SK. Now normally you don't think of SK as like the hardest to pilot faction in general, uh, but I think Rain SK. What makes Rain SK challenging is a little bit different than uh, Syndicate and Nilfgaard assimilate. So rather than having necessarily. Nilfgaard Assembly probably has more potential lines of play, but SK Rain has a lot of math. Like, it's just. Part of its difficulty just comes from the sheer amount of changing things that you have to consider on the board. You've got armor, you've got like end of turn engines like Svalblood Priest, Melusine maybe, uh, Melusine Cultist, right? And then you've got things that are ticking on your opponent's side of the board, like rain, that then affect your Melusine Cultists and your Messengers of the Sea. And then you have to like consider, oh, what if the rain hits the armor here and... You know, instead of actually doing some damage, then what is the possibilities? How much am I actually ahead versus, you know, what's what's the worst case scenario versus best case scenario? And just like account for all things like that. And by the time you've figured out how many points you're actually ahead or behind, like the rope is almost done. And then you have to figure yeah. out what you actually want to do for that turn.
0: Yeah, there are certain decks that are, uh, I like to call them just like like, they're like streamer bane. You know, where there's so many different factors that you need to catch up on and actually sort of plug into your equation, mm-hmm. wherein while you're trying to balance talking to your chat and and engaging and having a good stream and enter- entertaining experience, sometimes, and I'm always guilty of this, I'll just literally on those very complex turns, those very intricate calculated you have to you know you have to be very precise in how you do this and calculate it there's so many elements that you need to to take into account where i just zone out and i have that streamer face and uh, for those of you who don't have who are not watching this on youtube and maybe on spotify or whatnot you're gonna miss out on my streamer face but it's basically like it's like mouth partially open leaned Mm -hmm. in slightly while all the numbers are crunching it's like you're kind of like i have the face like like i'm like kind of like this Yeah. yeah And I know exactly what you're talking about. I do the same thing. It's the most unattractive thing ever. It is probably the worst, like <laughs> worst visualization of what, like or depiction of what I am. Like, talk about a, the, the worst face ever to make. But that's that's kind of like you play RT, like you play first-person shooters. You know, like mm-hmm. the whole
1: gamer hunch thing, where yep. y- you just your play. neck's like kind of yeah. protruding and yeah. squinting a little bit. Your mouth is a little bit open. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's part of the reason why I don't stream my face cam I when I stream Apex, because that's like all you're going to see is me doing concentrated gamer
0: face. I did that. I I, I used to occasionally stream uh, Overwatch, and mm-hmm. I remember after streaming it for a couple hours, I went to go look at the VOD to go and maybe pick out some highlight clips and make a video, and I was like, this is all unshowable. Like, my face is... It looks like I'm I'm it looks like I'm trying to read a street sign in the dark. Like I've just like, leaned in like uh anyways, that's the kind of Yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't understand how like uh other streamers that I watch, they apparently they don't tend to make this face. Or the ones that do, they never become big
0: because they can't. I know. But, <laughs> because there's no way that you can kind of package those videos up and ship them out. Mm-hmm. I mean, in reality, if it's I guess like There was a period of time for, like, about a month or two where I I streamed without uh, my camera on, and it was so liberating. It was so freewheeling because, like, I was able to sit back, not worry about things, like, sip my coffee, you know, scratch my ass when I needed to, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, like, those – you're talking about rain again. Back to to the the original (laughs) tangent here, but it rain – is uh i feel like you're right because when there's so many different elements and again when you're you have to calculate best case scenario versus worst case scenario and then and then evaluate the risks and if they're worth it but um i guess viability and and competitive viability has to factor into that
1: yeah yeah and i think i think rain is a good deck and it's actually not played as much as i thought it would be given how strong it is and i think part of that is because People just can't be bothered to do the math when it comes to playing the deck and they're just like, "All right, I'm just going to play something easier. Let, let me just play Reckless Flurry. I'll just like remove everything. That that's fine. That still wins a lot of games, right?" So, yeah, people I mean, just maybe tend to play something like that instead.
0: Take a take a good deck that isn't necessarily top tier, you know. It, Reckless Flurry doesn't necessarily have like immense amount of variables to consider other than maybe your reckless flurry pings maybe missing mm-hmm. something and you have to factor some stuff out there. But like yeah. Like rain and then triggers on, on turn, like end of turn, start of turn, um, you know, triggers from the damage onto your own units, yada, yada, yada. There's a lot to factor in. I like that uh, that that um uh that uh example. Uh my my example of something that's still relevant today, we could like kind of rewind it back way back when, but like for me, I, I genuinely believe that Kaltulus is probably one of the higher skill skill ceiling decks out there because it it has glaring weaknesses and it can still kind of circumnavigate them. Obviously, it's a it's a small package of units that you're playing and you're kind of going really tall with them and you could really lose to somebody who's focused on you know purifying out your defender and heat waving your Kaltulus or whatnot. But we you and I have seen. Keltulus lists that have gone up against lists that run Purify, Heatwave, Movement, lots of tech, lock stuff like that, and actually win. Um, mm-hmm. This is a deck I feel that's definitely not for those who are not well acquainted with all the the really subtle rules and subtle advantages that you could take. You can kind of dig into as a veteran player. Um, I think Keltulus will always be good because it will always put better players ahead of the average players uh just with with that deck alone and i think that has to be factored in in terms of considering
1: what is the best skill ceiling decks that are out there yeah definitely kaltulus part of i think main thing of kaltulus's difficulty is that it's so unintuitive compared to the normal game plan that other decks tend to have right yeah. Um, like with Caltulus, whether you're playing it or playing against it, sometimes the best option is to discard your cards, and a lot of players don't even consider that as a possibility. It's not doesn't like jump into their head as something that they could potentially do that might be the best move for them in the game. So let let's actually bring this back a bit.
0: What would you what would what are the criteria for decks that have high skill ceilings? Like what do we what would we consider a deck that has high, high skill ceilings? Because we've kind of dug into a little bit of what um, what the what the criteria or the characteristics rather of decks that we've identified as being high mm-hmm. skill ceiling. We've said you know um, variables, unintuitive play, or like, what else would you kind of slam in there? Because extra variables like coins or yeah. your opponent's uh, you know space, um, unintuitive play, like these are definitely out there, and they definitely. Uh, make it harder to to play these decks that can win very reliably. Is there anything else that we might be missing on this? I'd I'd be really curious to see what else we can come up with.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think like uh, a high skilling ceiling deck necessarily needs to have all of these things, but definitely like good examples, like you said, uh, additional variables like coins, uh, a lot of moving parts, so you have to calculate like more complex math, um, unintuitive style of play or or unique style of play which was a topic that we talked about a few episodes ago on on the podcast um different lines of play having to look forward plan ahead a lot more than usual compared to like normal decks um what else
0: again like we should clarify like when we talk about high skill ceiling we're not talking about power level of deck we're talking Mm -hmm. about what what it takes for a player to optimize the gameplay out of a deck to optimize the win rate out of a particular deck um, because I think that a deck for instance like let's let's go back a couple of months a deck like relics had a low skill ceiling I would say but a high power level whereas mm-hmm. you know something like um, something like um, uh, let's say line pockets before the before the nerf to the drill. Line Pockets, before the nerf to the drill, I would say was relatively high skill ceiling, but the power level rivaled that of, of something like Relics. So, yeah. say, like all things considered, two players of the same skill set, or the skills skill ability, one piloting Relics, one piloting Line Pockets, the Relics deck would probably win nine out of ten of those games. But if it was a better player on Line Pockets, they would probably dumpster. The, the relic deck nine times out of ten.
1: Certainly. I think that yeah, I think Line Pockets was had a had a pretty favorable matchup against Relics. But you can see like um we've been seeing uh CDPR community manager Ryan Godrick uh posting like win leader win rates and ability uh leader win rates and play rates from the past several seasons on Reddit these past few days. And yeah, the, the relic season, you the uh what was it? Fruits of your is the leader, was the highest Win rate by far on that season. I think it was version like nine point two. I got um, that's that would have I should have been a little bit more prepared and brought this up because it's that like was... sixty percent win rate on Pro Rank uh, with a very high play rate as well for for fruits of your skith. And I would certainly argue that line pockets is a stronger deck. That's but because of the higher skill ceiling, because it takes uh more to pilot that deck well. I think it had a lower win rate, a significantly lower win rate than than uh, Monsters, Relics. I'm, I'm just looking at the latest Are you trying one. trying to find it? Uh, I found
0: um, Season of the Cat. Uh, I'm just on his okay. Twitter right now, um, so I'm looking for it. I think if you just go to his Twitter and scroll down, you'll kind of find some of the previous ones there. Uh, oh, I see a picture of him as Harry Potter. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, if you guys want to see Ryan Godrick as Harry Potter, you can definitely go to that, but... Um, yeah, it had a it had a, a, a I found obscene it. obscene win rate. If yeah, you are toss it over. I, I linked like, it to you sweet. on sweet. Discord. See, guys, you're uh, listening to you. You're, you're listening to the back the, all the backstage pass kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Should be and I are tossing
1: uh, graphics at each other through Discord. So uh, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. You had fruits of Yaskith and line pockets had almost identical play rates on Pro Rank: ten point five eight percent versus ten point six zero percent. Pretty much exactly the same play rate. Fruits of his gets 60% win rate. Line pockets 51.6% win rate. So like almost a, a, an 8.5% difference in win rate, which is massive. 51 versus 60%. It's a huge difference in overall win rate. But I think line pockets is still the stronger deck. It is certainly the stronger deck. I think the fact is that there's just more... There. Are,
0: let's be fair. And I'm not. I'm not saying this to knock... Players who get to pro rank because it's not easy to get to pro rank, but but pro rank players are not like all the hottest hottest ish, so to speak. <laughs> like I'm not saying this to downplay getting to pro rank because it is absolutely not easy getting to pro rank. Mm-hmm. And if you get to pro rank, I applaud you because it's it's for some players that is a a, a, a super high achievement, and it is. It's very congrat. You are in the top what like two percent of players playing mm-hmm. wet. If you get to pro rank, so congratulations to you, but. There are players that take great decks, get to pro rank, and then rock that deck and have no care in the world about MMR. So they play the same deck over and over. So this might just be a factor of like this deck preying on the lower end of of the pro rank. But sixty percent win rate is that is pretty much the highest we've ever
1: seen on these sort of stats reports
0: oh a hundred by by miles i think the highest i've ever seen was probably something like 56% uh was the best and keep in mind that this also factors in the fact that like fruits of isgith is going to knock into itself and kind of like you know it, it now and then and whatnot but at the end of the day like for those who are maybe not as well acquainted with card games and things like of that nature typically if something is at 55% win rate it gets a look it gets a sniff it's under it's on the radar for for being watched in terms of its performance rate anything that's 60% is like alarm bells going off right away like get like you're calling Ryan Godrick and Burza in the middle of the night saying okay we got a problem here like that, it's that level of concern yeah um but again so win rate through the roof but i think we could agree that skill ceiling on this deck was pretty bobo
1: um, if I may say so, I think uh, I think in general, I think most decks have a decent skill ceiling. I think fruits of your skill. It there are small, subtle niche things that m- definitely differentiate the top cream of the crop versus like the average twenty four fifty uh, pro rank player. So I, I'm not saying that there's nothing, there's nothing there, but definitely in terms of the amount of things. The amount of difference you can make between like um an above average player and like a top 16 type of player it was not as significant for for fruits of your than for uh syndicate or Nilfgaard and stuff like that
0: yeah i just see a lot of people on there's a lot of people out there where they kind of cry that the sky is falling whenever there's one deck that's just better than the others and um uh, this deck was probably the worst that I that I ever seen in, in a long time. I'm trying to think of what else really. Drove Master Mirror Skellige, Warriors. Yeah. Oh, I was I thought you were gonna say what else? What other examples? No, of that's history. That, that was gonna say like if we're gonna talk about some of the most dominant decks in history or before they kind of got clipped. Like I guess that's out there. I mean, uh, unless you're talking about back in the day when there was actual passive abilities. I mm-hmm. mean. But then you're talking about just factions being better than other factions. Yeah, and then, and then that's
1: like that's a different game when we go oh, back 100%. all the way to like closed beta. Yeah. But um, yeah, in in homecoming, like fruits of Yaskith, relics, I think uh, on release, Master Mirror skeletal warriors is probably similar similar stats. I actually checked it the other day. I think it also was like 60 percent win rate, um, and it was yeah, it was another deck that was kind of easy to play, not. Super complex, had a pretty, you know, consistent, solid game plan that you could, you know, write a guide for and people could follow the guide and just do well with it, right? Was this the, you
0: know, Arnolf into um, uh, Champion's Charge, like, finisher kind of thing?
1: I don't even think so. I think it was, like, Second Wind. This is like, when Second Wind still existed and you could Second Wind the Herald. Remember how, like, Herald was you know you, you round three herald's a huge engine threat and point slam at the same time and they can't even kill your herald because if they kill your herald you just resurrect and play the herald again with second win. This is before they deleted all the play two cards in one turn type of leader. Oh yeah. You could either you could either second win Herald or you could second win like Wild Boar of the Sea or you could second win like tiergvi or something or Skiordal. Like yeah. this is way back like this is just
0: Bringing back like a year and a half ago. Yeah, it's not Not, even that. Not even too long. It's not even that long ago. It's it's just funny to hear, but um, again, you're like I think there is always an issue when you can design a deck where the skill ceiling is low, making it accessible and successful for a myriad of players, but the power level. Like I always believe that skill should always supersede. the power of a deck like even if you're playing with a a subpar deck a skilled player should be able to compete and have a a decent chance against an optimized list but played by a weaker player i agree Uh, and in this case it just seems like i mean we've seen it for the record we've seen it and and there are a lot of examples for those who might uh you know challenge us on this thought think about how many players out there high level players went from Brand new account, complete free-to-play to pro rank in under 24 hours, right? Or whatever the record is for that. Mm-hmm. There's a few players who, for a while, actually challenged that. And for, I mean, I get it. Ranks 25 through 10 are a joke, but you're not, they're not exactly getting everything they need and they're kind of working their way through it. But good players are good players and they'll succeed. But that is something that I feel Gwent should always be able to reward. And that's why I am okay with with decks like and factions like syndicate having being just like a smidge better than everything else because they have extra extra layers of complexity mm-hmm. that needs to be navigated in order to to pilot it successfully they have they basically have more things that can go wrong like if you're if you're making basically picture it this way monsters is like a tv dinner you you pop it in the microwave <laughs> and you're you're probably good nothing's gonna go wrong because there's only one button to press and you pop it out and you eat it and fine you're satisfied it's not the most delicious meal no but but, but it's easy to make and you can't really go wrong with it yes and syndicate is like you've got the stove going uh, four of the burners have different sauces you got the oven working you're like You're you got like a a, a, a you need a
1: you need a Ph.D. in culinary arts in order to make a syndicate like
0: (laughs) Ramsey's calling you a donut, you know, like everything's going haywire. But if you could pull it off, it is vastly superior than the tv dinner but there's so much that can go wrong that there are plenty of people who are like screw it the tv dinner is just as is so much easier and gets the job done so i'm gonna rely on it on that way that is the most ridiculous uh analogy, analogy. I I've, I've come up with in a long
1: time Shinri, but i'm glad I, that i think it makes total sense i i liked it and yeah and i think to wrap things up i agree with you that uh in in my preference yeah the strongest decks in the meta should be some of the ones that are harder or hardest to pilot and, um i think I like recall in open beta like Nilfgaard spies was considered the strongest deck but also one that was really really difficult to play perfectly and i think that's like that's healthier for the game and sure. that's reward skill rewards skill which is i think a great yeah. thing yeah
0: if you want parity then you have to understand that there's no parity amongst the player base. That's part of it. So, uh, you know, demanding parity amongst the decks and then being upset when certain things bubble up to the top, that's not necessarily the decks and the cards being, you know, um, imbalanced. It's the fact that the player pool is imbalanced and there are better players and there are worse players and the better players are going to take the more complex decks and take them to the moon while everyone else is eating tv dinners and just being happy watching freaking jeopardy at seven o'clock like that's what we're saying all right i think that was uh that was a nice little dive into there so again thanks to komodo 135 on reddit for suggesting the topic and i thought it was a good one but uh, we have a mailbag, Shinmeri, as we usually do. And uh, I'm, I think that uh, around the corner, we've, we've got some juicy ones to get into. So don't go too far. The mailbag's coming up right next.
1: All right, Flake, we got some juicy questions from the viewers in this week's mailbag. Uh, let's start off with Aditya Mui on Twitter asks how do you recover from a bad losing streak and get yourself back on the right foot Ooh, okay
0: i've had plenty of these um now a lot of this comes from like digging your way out of these kinds of holes is a lot of it is just admitting that you're wrong and admitting that you may not be you know in the right in the right setting the meta might have shifted like Yesterday, you went outside with a raincoat because it was raining. Today, the the sun is shining and it's, you know, 90 degrees. The raincoat is not the right choice. And you're wondering, why was this perfect yesterday and today I feel like garbage? Well, that's basically it. You can't always have the right fit on every particular day because things shift. The meta is like the weather. You can Mm -hmm. probably be relatively certain or have a good idea of what it's going to be like because you've been in it. You can look out the window, you can get a good idea, but until you actually walk out into it, you'll never know. So being able to not be stubborn about things and maybe go back to the drawing board and say, you know what, maybe, um, you know, Skellige Warriors is not right today. Maybe it's maybe I should be playing some more of a swarmy style deck. Maybe I need to go to Arrakis Swarm. Maybe that's better. Sometimes it's just a matter of identifying the meta and and you know getting it that way. Other times it's just identifying that there might just be one missing element to the deck that just changes the whole thing. Maybe you need that one extra tall punish or that one extra lacerate, and that just changes everything. But that leads again back to the meta. I think that understanding the meta is more integral to one card choice necessarily here or there it it factors into that it has it has influence on that and that that will change everything being able to just walk away admit you're wrong not be stubborn reevaluate, and make changes that's how you get out of losing streaks
1: yeah i agree with a lot of what you said i think um oftentimes uh, switching decks can be helpful for cracking losing streaks um And everybody has like their own comfort deck that they tend to fall back on. That's been, you know, very good to them in the past that they just gel with. They understand the ins and outs of it. Sometimes that can help to just like switch back to a comfort deck that you're really good with that you that, you know, done very well for you in the past and try that out for a little bit and and kind of shake it off get some momentum going your way Uh, another time like sometimes you're also just not in the right mindset to play good gwent and sometimes you just need to take a little bit of a break and try again tomorrow get some better sleep you know i I find i know i definitely have those bad days where i didn't sleep that well the last night and i just start making mistakes left and right like it's just uh a bad day for me and some normally I would be able to see this line or stop myself from making this this mistake. But today I just keep falling into the same pit over and over again.
0: Yeah, you get to that point. You never do like that play where you make the play and you're like, why did I do that? I know exactly Mm -hmm. why I should not have done that. And I did it anyways. And that's possibly fatigue. (laughs) It's like too many things to consider. So yeah, taking a break also helps out. Um, This one's from Jano Snacks on Twitter asks, do you think it's time for a new faction to be added to Gwent? If so, what should it be?
1: Um, I personally don't think we need a new new faction in Gwent right now. I think six is plenty. And I I just want more, like, I always think that one of the goals, long-term goals for the game should be more competitive and viable archetypes, but not necessarily new factions. If we were to get a new faction, I think I maybe like Zarakania is something that's within the Witcher world, um that we could maybe find a fact uh, build a faction around like with dragon they have like dragons they worship dragons they've got characters like uh villain tretan right and bork who like also bork three jackdaws maybe it will have like four different versions of that card um via and tia i don't know what else but like the Ulfiri merchants are kind of from maybe they've already used that i don't know but like so that's they, just the first thing that came to mind
0: would they need to pull cards from like neutral and then maybe like redesignate them let's say
1: uh, possibly hope i i would i would hope not but I, I don't know what they can come up with i i personally think the answer is no that we don't need a new faction
0: yeah i i agree with you there i don't think that there's needs to be a new faction and the reason why is because if you are creating a new faction you need to create a unique identity and not that i don't think there's plenty of identities that, that can kind of be dug into, but you need to create a new faction that has a unique identity and you need new game mechanics to sort of support it to a degree. If you notice, there's a lot of cards out there, a lot of factions and, and archetypes that kind of have their own thing, their own shtick, as it were. And I think that there's still a lot of identities that are, like you mentioned, there are other identities, archetypes, etc., that need support, before you even start opening up new new things it's like you haven't even finished reading these five books and you want to start another one like you know or or whatnot like get the job done on what's out there uh and if so what should it be just out of like if i were to you know at, like fully answer the question so first of all no there there should not be another one uh and but if there were what would it be i know nothing about uh Witcher lore not a bloody thing so I'm just going to say Jedi Jedi and Sith <laughs> some sort of force sensitive uh, and you know, entity kind of grouping of people Jedi council and like a Sith covenant or something like that I think
1: that would be great <laughs> perfect perfect alright uh, next question from Komodo 135 again on reddit what career or line of work would you have gone into if not for Gwent and Cast? oh well
0: um, so before doing casting, actually, I mean, like, I was streaming while I was working. I worked for a major airline as a social media manager. Uh, it's quite a, it's quite, it was quite a, a a 180 in terms of like career paths because I was actually very successful there. I had a, a really good career lined up. Like that was basically going to be it for me until I retired. Um, the benefits were great. The pay was exceptional. I had a great reputation there. And I just woke up every single day miserable, 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 miserable. And all I wanted to do was speak into a microphone and talk to people, um, which I got to do a little bit in college. Like, I ran the college radio station. I had an internship at the sports radio station for a while. But what would I be doing if it wasn't this? It would still be this. If all things were considered, this is still... The dream I would be chasing and when I say that this is kind of like a dream come true it is I mean being able to pay rent by talking about things that I'm absolutely I absolutely adore I just came back from Orlando casting the flesh and blood national championships and again I'm there and I am just on a cloud of of just happiness and joy because it's hard for me to understand that my line of work albeit not Excessively lucrative in any way, shape, or form, is good enough that I wake up making a lot less money than I did at my other job, but I wake up happy and and more filled with joy and hope and and love than I ever had in my entire life working anywhere else. So that's what would I be doing? I would still be chasing this dream. There's that that's that might be a cop out answer, but there's it's the it's the truth. So that's what I'm gonna lean on.
1: Yeah, I, I really well said. I feel the same way. Like I, I'm i definitely making less money now as a streamer and caster than I was before. Uh, you know, before I was um, an options and futures trader for a proprietary trading firm. And even before that, I was studying electrical engineering in college and I tried doing like uh, engineering internships during the summer and I hated it. Like it was just really, really boring for me. I found myself staring at the clock at 1030 in the morning, every morning, and just like, oh, when will this day end sort of thing, you know, and, you know, uh, but when it comes to streaming, it doesn't feel like it drags on and it feels like I'm, I'm just, I'm having fun when I'm, when I'm doing what I love and just uh, talking to people, talk, interacting with chat, sharing, you know, ideas and knowledge and deck ideas, uh, just like and, and sharing great moments with with people. It's just, it's really awesome. And I would, yeah, I also feel like I would continue doing this for as long as I can. Uh, but if not, who knows? Maybe back to trading.
0: Yeah, I, I just want to like, just double tap on one thing here. Because I know that a lot of people out there say that, you know, it's, well, it's so easy to, to wait for you to say because you have like this job. And I know that our jobs are very coveted and a lot of people mm-hmm. want to be in our positions. And trust me, I know that. I know how lucky I am, but... What people don't realize is that I didn't just get hired off the street. You know, I actually streamed every day after work from the office. I'd get home from the office at 5 30, 6 o'clock ish. And from 7 to 10 p.m. every single night after working nine hours, I would stream Gwent to like five or six people every night until that kind of took off. I did that for two years, two and a half years, every single day before I even got a sniff at an audition at maybe a chance at something. So it's not without the work that's involved with it. It's But if you're passionate about something, it is worth putting the effort in. Because I promise you this, if waking up being happy with what you have to do, you know, not feeling, not not having that dread of like, oh god, tomorrow's Monday, I gotta go do this. And I know mm-hmm. you probably felt that, like you talked about the whole thing about looking at the clock at ten thirty. I yeah. know all about that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, my advice also just to do on this is like, like it's not it's not a tomorrow thing, but it's a po- it's within the realm of possibility for people to go ahead and find a career in what they want to do that they're passionate about and love. But again, I get it. For us to say that. Who are in this position but it's not because chin and i didn't work hard and you know streamed to nobody for a while and like it it takes work but if you want it go get it it's good but just like i i say this all the time i've said this for years and years and years hard work pays off and
1: i am proof of that so yeah for sure and yeah you you and i both of us we neither of us were handed the caster position or analyst position we worked really hard for it. We grinded the hours away and we presented, you know, um, good reasons for CDPR to to hire us. And, and it was, it took a long time. And we're definitely, I feel definitely very lucky and privileged to have this opportunity. And I know that there's really very, very few people out there that get to do this stuff, but yeah. So I definitely feel really lucky. I also feel like we earned it, so I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that, you know, we get to do what we love to do for a living. Damn right. And we're damn good at it, too. And those who say
0: not, uh, you're entitled to your opinion. All right. (laughs) Last question for the episode. Uh, What do you think of a card like Mastercraft Spear, kind of, that would be about 11 or 12 provisions, but would start on the board at the beginning of the game? It's kind of like Roach with the thinning in points, but more provisions. This is from Chinese Hobbit on Reddit.
1: Okay, so like a different form of roach or best boy knickers, but rather than like proactive points, you can you get an artifact that you can kind of like deal damage with those. Yes. I, I think the idea is fine. I don't think there's anything like inherently unhealthy or bad about the idea. It's just a matter of balancing it provision-wise. Um, I think one weakness for something like this is that it's not... I guess it's comparable to Roach and Best Boy because they're not carryover, unless you're playing Lippy, the dreaded L word. Yeah, don't say that. Dude. We said it last time, <laughs> we're not saying it again. Um, but like, I think something like this would be kind of maybe maybe weak, maybe less played, less desirable than cards like Madoc or um, uh, what's the other card, like Flying Redanian, cards that thin themselves out of your deck, but also represent carryover points into future rounds right? Like a Mastercraft of Spear, I'm guessing, is not going to come back from your graveyard when you do something. No. And so like at 11 or 12 provisions, it sounds expensive to me, but maybe properly balanced, I think it could be an option for certain decks.
0: Yeah, at first I thought that this was a ridiculous idea until I thought about it a little bit more and the provision numbers sound like sounded about right, where a 9 provision Roacher, let's say, like a 9 provision Redanian, a 10 provision Madoc, like I get it. This is coming in as four with an uh, with an already thin th- thinned ability. It's not. It's never going to be in your hand. You never have to waste a mulligan on it. It's an automatic thin of four that can either solidify your blue coin disadvantage or really come at your opponent uh, and kind of negate their blue coin uh, stratagem. Right. So you do have a, a, a very intriguing kind of card here and also i mean i, I very i, I paraphrase this question there's also a little addendum to it where they're mentioning cards like torque or sunset wonder start in the hand and this mm-hmm. is kind of similar where it just starts on the board instead but then you've got
1: ryogon ryogon starts in the graveyard so we're starting to see more and more of these sort of like guaranteed starting position mechanics and i could see something like this i have a mastercraft of spear idea like this could really work in a deck that cares a lot about winning round one that has um a variety of different ways to deal small damage something like Skeletal warriors although Skeletal warriors is like a devotion deck but you know it, the, the mastercrafted spear with the flexible pings could work really well with things that do one two three damage and just like being able to kill precisely what you need to kill with the right amount of damage to help you win round one and then you get to keep your blaze of glory ice combo to round three that's that could be very powerful yeah i, I like the idea I,
0: I think that it definitely needs to be it's something that i'm not smart enough to say that it's not gonna it it, can, it will or will not break the game but i honestly do think that the idea and the 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 spirit behind it is actually quite quite fascinating because like you mentioned mary there's the the symptoms of something like this already exist within other cards, like Sunset Wanders, Ryogen, like things like that. So it's not completely out of left field. It's not out of the realm of of viability because things like that kind of already do exist. You just have to play them. So paying 12 provisions for four, four points that you have to spread over four turns, I mean, sure. You know, 12 provisions is a hell of a lot of provisions to, to give up for four potential points. But, hey, you do you. I think it's a great idea. And uh, I I I would probably hate it very, very
1: quickly. <laughs> if I didn't play it, I would hate it. The, the um, big difference here is that this deals damage and it's potentially removal, whereas uh, the Roach and knickers are just proactive. Yeah.
0: Okay. So it, it actually could, I mean, if you go up against a deck that just doesn't really play about a bunch of units you could probably like against a no unit style control list it might be garbage and that's mm-hmm. a risky take but eh, who knows and then you make the wyvern shield version of it too and you start with both of them and that's 24 provisions down the toilet and then you're, <laughs> then you're playing with four four provision bronzes and then you lose a lot and then you wonder why this card exists look we've already we've already basically seen a year into the future so yeah uh, yeah all right well great question uh and thanks again for everybody uh for submitting to the mailbag i think that does it for this week again if you would like to reach out to shin and i you could do so on reddit on twitter via discord through our streams uh we love 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 getting questions uh especially unique ones like these so that we can dive in and uh kind of you know reminisce about gwent of old and think about gwent of the future because uh it's coming and um season five is a thing
1: four season five? four. Four. Four.
0: I didn't say anything. All right. Yeah. Flake leaked season five. No, no, there's no. <laughs> with the, with the fabled seventh faction. Yes.
1: <laughs> and Dagon as it's, uh, <laughs> as it's, you know, what is this called? Like flag. Uh, oh my God. What's oh, like it? it's like banner kind of thing. Like yeah, kind of like a yeah, flagship. Like yeah. Yeah. the main flagship leader for the seventh faction, oh. Dagon. Void oh.
0: oh, that would be so good. The Dagon faction, the fog faction, the fog Ooh. We just made something here. All right, Shinmiri, again. A great episode, my friend. It's nice to have you uh, you know, every week it's just good to talk to you, buddy. I know that like we cast and everything, but again, it's nice to catch up with you even if it's because I'm forcing you to be on the show.
1: Hey, it's a blast for me as well just enjoy chatting and yeah, glad uh, the viewers seem to be enjoying it and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback in my in my channel and on, when I stream. People saying that they they like the podcast and just like us listening to us talk about anything. Well, that's and that's why the mailbag's there. Send us all your silly,
0: weird questions. Um, Actually, Mark Theus, who produces the show, is like, wow, you guys are doing like even like our Spotify numbers are good. Apparently, people like to listen to us, and that's really nice to hear. And I'm glad that people are giving you feedback because you deserve it, Shinmiri. True say, Shinmiri is like, when I met Shinmiri, And the first time that he did broadcasting, like, I think you were, like, the analyst for Challenger 4. Challenger 4, where you were the host. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like, from day 1 to day 2 was already a dramatic improvement. Like, there was nerves for everybody. For sure. But, like, event 1 to event 2, year 1 to year 2, I'm always just absolutely... um, just blown away by by the broadcaster you've become because you're already a big brain and it's not fair for us moderate brains that you can do be good at two things man that's just not fair thank you flake. That's, <laughs> all right it's really flattering well <laughs> I, I will end the show as i do every week i love you man i love you too flake And, uh, yeah, we love you, too, out there. And uh, that's about it. So thank you so much for tuning in to Flake Miri. Uh, Catch us again next week. And please follow the channel wherever you're watching this, on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, all that other stuff. Don't forget you're not losing if you're learning, so keep playing cards. You might win. We'll catch you next time.
1: Bye.